If you have your Bible apps open, get to the Gospel of Mark if you're not there already. We're in an extended passage here, and, and really, it, it, it's hard to see on the screen what Mark is doing. So I encourage you to find your, your hard copy Bibles at home later or look at it this week and come again, because we're going to look at the whole broader scene of what Mark is doing in this section next week also, Lord willing. Jesus is the center of all, the object of all. And whoever does not know him knows nothing aright, either of the world or of himself. Blaise Pascal, 17th century French mathematician. Mark wants us to know Jesus, the center of all, the object of all, that we might know the world, that we might know ourselves, that we might know our history and our future. I was asked a few weeks ago if I'd be preaching Advent messages. Advent, as we've been celebrating, simply means the arrival of Jesus, a coming. And so naturally, my answer was, yes, of course, I will. According to Mark, this is how Mark announces the arrival of Jesus, not into a manger as a baby, but into ministry as a man, not into Bethlehem, but into Capernaum, not dependent on the life of a mother, but bringing life to a mother and to many others, not in relative obscurity, but in increasing popularity. This is the arrival of Jesus according to Mark. So Merry Christmas, church. These first episodes or scenes, you might call them, because they move at a fast pace in Mark 1 and Mark 2. They're significant and they're purposeful. They're primarily healing accounts. Mark wants us to know immediately, he has this urgent message to proclaim. He wants us to know that Jesus brings healing. Now, to be clear, Mark is not a record of, or a, of a historical documentary. It is not a chronological timeline of events, a chronological account. It's a thematic one. These are the first things that Mark wants to show us that Jesus did and taught to begin or inaugurate his, his ministry, his coming. Just as in our day, our incumbent president is making announcements and declarations of his first hundred days in office, which are meant to be a proclamation or a declaration and emblematic of what is to come. Similarly, Mark is presenting real things that did happen, that Jesus did and taught, but in a thematic way to proclaim what was to come and to proclaim why he had come. It's worth noting that each of the four gospel writers that we have in our Bibles today, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all chose slightly different ways to announce the coming of Jesus. I may overview these a bit next week. It should help us to understand that the accounts aren't first meant to be historical, although they are that, or chronological, but thematic. They're, they're teaching us something. Now, that was very common in, in ancient Middle Eastern literature. It might be a little more of a challenge for our, our Western-trained ears or thought pattern. So that the first hearers, if they had two accounts, two different accounts of the ministry of Jesus, 
They wouldn't have been quick to point out or even need to. This one seems out of order to the other one. Therefore, the Bible can't be trusted. These words can't be trusted. That's not how they would have thought. They would have understood that there was a theme being presented, being taught, and the order, the chronology was less important. So that's, that's important for us as we take the whole corpus of the gospel accounts together and, and ask rightly, what then does Mark want us to see? These are very purposeful and significant snapshots of the beginning of Jesus's ministry according to Mark. What does he emphasize? The coming of Jesus in kingdom power. He definitely does want to highlight like the other gospel writers tend to highlight the authority of Jesus in his teaching ministry. And Mark says here, he taught as, as, those, as one with authority, not as their scribes, their most learned ones. He had something else that, that was deeply authoritative about him. Verse, this is uh, Mark 1, 22. They were astonished at his teaching. He taught as one who had authority, not as the scribes. But then Mark kind of leaves off his teaching there, whereas the other gospel writers tend to go into more of his teaching. And he starts to show us the healing ministry. These four distinct episodes or scenes, a demonized man, a woman with a fever, a leper, and a paralytic. They're each amazing in their own right and probably worthy of what we would say far more attention than even Mark gives to them. Maybe worthy of an entire sermon But to do that would probably miss the broader message that Mark is trying to communicate and to to collectively reveal about these episodes. So I will restrict myself to give some observations and highlights. Ideally, this would be one normal length, 50-minute sermon or so. Maybe a slightly shorter, but maybe a little bit more. Just we would see the whole thing all together. But you know, COVID and masks, and 41 degrees and raining, and alas, I am going to restrict and maybe leave off the final one, which is, I think, the key to unlocking the whole passage. So I'll leave that as a teaser. As we approach this, let's remember what Mark's primary purpose was in this treatise that he's writing, to reveal and attempt to prove that Jesus is the Son of God, and that the kingdom has come and is coming in ever-increasing fullness. Mark was writing likely to a Roman audience that he had to assume knew very little about the Jewish history, the, the Isra- Israel's God, Yahweh, and their, their collective story. So he's writing to a people with very little knowledge. Rightly, we would put ourselves in a posture to receive as if we knew nothing of this Jesus, that we could see how Mark wants to present him So Mark is purposeful in bringing these four healing accounts. And I believe, broadly speaking, he wants us to know right from the start, Jesus brings healing. Ultimately, this entire passage, I think, begins in 116 with the calling of followers and ends in 214 with the calling of followers. We should notice some of those parallels that happen as we study this message. And we can see within that, there's actually a flow, a rhythm to what Mark is presenting in these accounts. I'll attempt to highlight that more next week as we see the full picture of this passage. 
Jump into the first scene, verse 23, this demonized man. While Jesus is teaching, immediately, this is verse 23 of chapter 1, there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. Now, I believe Mark is showing us clear evidence of the authority that Jesus has, now the authority even over the spiritual realm. He's already shown us that Jesus had gone into the Eremon, the wilderness, the desolate place, and was tempted by Satan, the adversary. And we know with a fuller account from the other gospels, he triumphed through the word of God and the power of the spirit over Satan. And now we have this example, this account of him taking authority over the evil spirits, commanding them with a word. And I believe Mark wants us to see that. All four gospel accounts show us the spiritual realm on full display. It's almost impossible to miss. If, you're, if you were familiar with the Hebrew scriptures, you wouldn't have noticed very much of the spiritual realm, or especially the evil spiritual realm. And all of a sudden, when we get to this, these new accounts, these accounts about Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus the Messiah, it seems that it's everywhere you turn. The adversary is at work, the demonic forces, the devils, the demons, the spirits of evil, the unclean spirits, depending on your translation and a few of the Greek words. To quote R.C. Sproul, he said, it seems when Jesus comes on the scene, all hell breaks loose. <laughs> what we see is Jesus has authority in this realm now, Mark uses the term unclean spirit, which is unique. He'll do it again. But I believe in this case, it's to connect us with the unclean leper that is coming just a few, a couple scenes away. For a Jewish rabbi, cleanliness, not just cleanliness of hand or having taken a shower that morning, but ceremonial cleanliness, following the ways of the, the Hebrew law was of vital importance. They would avoid anything that could make them ceremonially unclean. And I believe Mark wants to show us that Jesus operates by a, a different ethic. That he is at work in people's lives to bring healing and to restore in a way that no other rabbi ha would enter into. He's a new rabbi, a new teacher, one with authority. Was this just one spirit or was it many? Maybe you noticed there that the spirit... The unclean spirit speaks in a plural. That's interesting. Some, some scholars have thought that maybe that was like the royal we. Others have said he must have meant himself and the man that he was oppressing. I think, I think more likely he is speaking on behalf of the broader evil spiritual realm. Jesus, we know who you are and that you have authority. Have you come to destroy all of us? He would take that message likely. And what happened in that encounter with Jesus, the Holy One of God, back to his minions, so to speak. Jesus has authority over all things, and he speaks into that. Now, I think there's an intended irony here when you'll see throughout Mark that so many are very slow to fully understand who Jesus is, they're coming to believe. They're coming to see him. And it's kind of painstakingly slow, even for those disciples who are closest to him. And here we have an unclean spirit, an evil spirit, who knows immediately and fully who Jesus is and proclaims him. 
as Catherine led us last week, if we don't proclaim who God is, even the rocks will cry out. The testimony of truth of, of who God is will not be restricted. So I believe Mark is showing us an interesting irony in this account. Wind flips the page. I think it's interesting that, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, that you don't need to fully believe in Jesus to follow after him. That's what's clearly on display. We are coming to believe in ever-increasing fullness as we draw near to Jesus. It's interesting that you are closer to Jesus even if you would openly admit, I don't know what I believe about him, but I'm desiring to follow him and to follow his ways. There's just something about his way, his teaching, his, his, his life. You're closer to Jesus with that open admission of your own doubts and your own uncertainties as the one who fully knows who Jesus is and chooses not to follow him. As we see evidenced in this unclean spirit, belief alone is not enough. We are meant to follow after Jesus, to emulate him, to represent him. So Mark is revealing the authority that Jesus has over everything. Jesus would say this to his disciples at the very end of his ministry on, on earth, Matthew 28, 18. He said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. It's such an amazing theme we'll continue to see that the one with the greatest authority of all, the greatest power, so to speak, how does he live? How does he use that authority and power to serve, to bless, to heal, to reach? It's pretty amazing. From the beginning of his ministry, Following the empowering of the Holy Spirit, there's evidence of his authority. And Mark is putting that on display. He teaches with authority. He takes authority over even the spiritual realm. He takes authority over creation. We'll see the very same word used by Jesus, quoted by Mark in Mark 4, when Jesus silences, rebukes the wind and the waves when he's out on a boat in the storm. The very same word, phimeo, that's used here to silent, to rebuke, to essentially say to this unclean spirit, shut up. And that's what he does. He takes that same authority even over the created realm. Right here, Mark shows us the struggling belief of even those that were present. They, they were coming to know him and yet struggling to believe. Verse 27 and following. They were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves saying, who, who is this? What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even unclean spirits and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. The first thing Mark wants us to see in Jesus' outward ministry is that he came to bring spiritual healing. And that spiritual healing is deliverance and it is freedom. And that is incredibly good news and it should be spread. And the fame of the one who brings it should be known. That's scene number one. Scene number two, second episode, verse 29 and following. Immediately, there's that word that shows us Mark's urgent tone. You'll see it 42 times in these 16 chapters. Immediately, Jesus left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And the fever left her. 
and she began to serve them. I said last week that that'll preach today. A woman lying in bed with a fever, unable to get up, likely at death's door, or at least with that concern. And that day, a viral infection that led to a fever that would immobilize a person was serious business. Without medicines, without vaccines, without access to ready healthcare, without even the knowledge of what would best help this person. It's a scary situation. I think it's likely why these disciples are urging Jesus to come back to Peter's home, because they, they know that their, their friend or their mother-in-law, in this case for Peter, is, is deeply sick, deeply ill, and they're beginning to see the authority that Jesus has, and perhaps he can do something. So they, they come, they bring him to Simon's mother-in-law, which you do have to pause and take note. Simon, Simon Peter was married, <laughs> likely had a family, loved his mother-in-law so much that she's living with them, which was, was more common for the broader extended family to live together, but not necessarily to bring in a mother-in-law who, like, who perhaps was a widow herself at this point if Simon Peter is caring for her. And Jesus heals her. It's almost what we would expect by now. But don't just gloss over it. It is so remarkable and amazing how he does it. He comes to her bedside. He takes her by the hand and he lifts her up. He restores her fully. He pauses to see her. As astonishing as it is of the immediate healing, the relief of this, this physical ailment, this viral infection, this fever, I think Mark's primary purpose in this very first personal healing account, the very first person that Mark wants us to see Jesus healing is a woman. A woman that Jesus lifts up and sees and elevates. We'll see that, the, that three women, according to Mark, are the first to know of the risen Jesus and to proclaim him. Mark has a message to share following the ministry of Jesus that Jesus' reach goes into all areas of society. He reaches into the margins of culture to the last and the least and the lost. Even today, we don't have full equity amongst men and women and certainly others. But in that day, in that Greco-Roman world, it was very hierarchical and patriarchal. Women did not have a status. They did not have influence and it wasn't likely any different in Judaism. So for Jesus to go into this woman's bedroom was very personal, was very intimate. To take her by the hand and to lift her up, I believe he did more than just restore her physically. He brought her a wellness and a wholeness that was much deeper because that's what Jesus was all about. Which leads to the third scene I'll hit to this morning. His reach goes even further into the margins of society by Reaching a leper, verse 40 and following. A leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. But Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said, See that you say nothing to anyone. But go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he, Jesus, went out, but he, the leper, went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places 
And people were coming to him from every quarter. I think it's so striking. If this were, if this were today, this would be like Jesus walking into a COVID ward without a mask on, coming to the bedside of one intubated on life support, picking up their hand or leaning over to kiss their forehead or their cheek, and then rising them up. A leper in that, in that culture was, was a social outcast. By law, according to Leviticus 13 and 14, there's extensive laws on leprosy, which really could have been any number of skin-type diseases that they couldn't diagnose but could be highly infectious. So they would just simply be labeled a leper. And they were a social outcast, completely isolated, required by law, mandated and enforced by the, the Roman centurions to, to do a few things, to stay at least 50 paces distant of any other person. They were required, mandated to wear a mask on their face to distinguish themselves so that others could see them coming and avoid them completely. They were required to leave their family, even if they were married or had kids, to move out and to live in their own place established for them. They were completely isolated until their death. Now, there was a provision that if they were healed, they could come and the priest could declare them clean, ceremonially, restored. But that almost never happened in those days. There was no healing for leprosy, for true leprosy. If it was some other rash or skin disease, perhaps, that was misdiagnosed, but not for leprosy. Leprosy was painful. It disintegrated your flesh and ultimately led to death. Perhaps this man is one of those most severe and he's imploring Jesus. He's already himself breaking the law to even come that near to Jesus. Doubtful that Jesus missed it. He likely saw him and welcomed him to come with what we see happen in this episode. The leper says, if you will, you can make me clean. This isn't necessarily a lack of faith at all. In, the, in fact, it might be full faith. But it's almost like a, this would be too good to be true that you could restore me. This is a holistic restoring that he's asking for, not just a physical wellness, but a restoration to his family, to his community, to be able to come to the synagogue to worship, to be able to go to the temple and pray and bring offerings. This was everything. We feel isolated today. We feel distant. We feel like there's so much restoration that we want to see take place and renewal and healing take encouragement at what we see in Jesus, our healer, a holistic healing. This is truly the sozo of Jesus, the sozo where we get the word salvation. It's far more than being saved from earth and making it to heaven or saved from the fires of hell, so to speak. The salvation, the sozo of Jesus is a complete restoration, a wholeness, a fullness, a wellness Body, soul, spirit, mind, it's everything. It's freedom, it's deliverance. That's the salvation of Jesus. And that's what's on display here. He's moved with compassion. Far more than just that this man is physically hurting, although there would have been compassion for that. But that this man has been isolated and removed from any form of true life and living. And Jesus has come to bring life and healing and restoration where there is sickness, health, where there is brokenness, restoration, where there is division, unity, where there's isolation, belonging, where there's despair, he offers hope. 
Now notice this. Not only does he welcome the man inside of the 50 paces to interact with him, he says, I am willing, and he reaches and touches the man while he is in the midst of his leprosy, and then he heals him. Maybe instantaneous. I don't know how, how you would see that, but he reaches and touches. He doesn't speak a word in this case, which he has the authority to do. We see that happen at other times from a distance, not even entering a home. He speaks a word. He heals. He restores life. He sets free of demonic influence. Here he chooses to touch. There's something powerful in that to understand the sozo of Jesus. Paul says in Romans 5.8, God shows his love to us that while we are still sinners, Christ dies. Here's, a, here's an example of the healing of Jesus, the salvation of Jesus in a tangible way. While still a leper, while still broken, sick, hurting, the outcast, the margins of society, Jesus sees, touches, and restores he brings healing to the last, the least, and the lost with compassion, mercy, and hope. He lifts up, he restores, and he empowers. And this is what Mark wants to make absolutely clear with utmost priority, if not urgency, as he does, goes through these scenes with, with such a pace and a force that we would see this is the gospel. This is the good news. Worthy to be made known and to be spread. Hard to fault this leper for going out and making it known of what Jesus did. I mean, it would have been known. It would have been found. He could have gone back to his home and his family and his community. He would have been declared clean by the priest, but he couldn't shut up about it. Now, Jesus had told him not to, and we find that, we find that strange, but I think the answer is right here in this very passage where it says that as soon as that happened and the fame spread that even a leper was healed, even a leper was welcomed by this Jesus and found life, the news increased and the crowds grew and he could not even enter in openly into a town, which meant he couldn't go into the synagogue and teach and teach from the Hebrew scriptures and teach with their scribes. He needed to remain in the Eremon, in the desolate places. And perhaps Jesus in his humanity wasn't ready for that that his purpose was to come and to minister in all places. And here he's restricted because his fame is growing. And ultimately, Jesus didn't come to simply bring physical healing. But that's who, became, that's who immediately started flocking to him, to be touched by him, to be healed by him. Jesus brought a holistic healing. And that's what he came to do for body, soul, mind, and strength. I believe this last scene or episode in chapter 2, the healing of this paralyzed man is really the key to unlocking and understanding the full passage. And I'll leave that to next week. How can we apply this message today? If you are sick and you are hurting or you have loved ones who are, that's an immediate application. No matter what it is, no matter what brokenness or hurt or pain or isolation or sickness whether it's health or it's, whether it's physical health or it's internal or it's mental, we are encouraged by this to come to Jesus with it all, to draw near to him. We don't ever see him turning anyone away. And so we have that hope and we can also, like we'll see in this next episode, bring our friends before him, whether actually physically or whether through prayer as intercessors. That's a right and a good application. And we at least know that Jesus' heart and compassion and mercy and desire is to bring healing, to extend that to us. But I believe there's a stronger 
holistic message for us to apply. If we are to follow him and to emulate him, then we too are to be representatives, agents of his kingdom, agents of his healing. And we do this when we reach into the margins of society. Because we would rightly say, we, we don't have the same authority, though authority is given to us to command, do we? We don't heal, we don't see these same kinds of miraculous physical healings, maybe some, but not simply to the degree that we seem to see them in these gospel accounts. So we, might, we may wrongly hesitate to pray in those ways, which I think we should. But I believe we all can walk in the restorative reach of Jesus into the margins into these places of society. Who are the last and least and lost? Who are the oppressed and the overlooked in our community? Who does our world say are most unclean? Who do religious people say are least worth our reach, our touch, are most judged and most outcast? If the good news, if the gospel doesn't sound like good news to these, then we haven't begun preaching it with our words or our deeds. Does someone come to mind, an acquaintance, a neighbor, a friend? Perhaps you could reach them this week in some way to say, I see you, I love you, God loves you, be well. Apparently flight paths have changed today. Or Christmas travel, or someone needs to get tuned in with the air traffic control really quickly. And I would say to the rest of us who someone does not come to mind who might fit this category of culturally or socially unclean and ostracized and removed and overlooked, then we rightly receive the conviction of, Lord, have I isolated myself in a way that you never would from the last and the least and the lost. Help open my eyes and open my heart to these the least of these, that I can live like you, serve like you, and ultimately know you more fully in the ways of your gospel. Remember too, we all, we all are or were or both on the margins spiritually until Jesus has come to pursue us, to see us, to lift us up, to draw us in, and to bring us the healing and wholeness that only he can. And in this time, we need it more than ever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, your reminders, your hope, your life. We thank you, Jesus, for living in such a way that both convicts and encourages to present the good news that is, this is good for almost everyone in the world. You see them, you love them, you know their pain, you offer freedom, help, hope, mercy, touch, community. Lord, where we feel isolated, bring us community. Where we feel in despair, bring us your hope. Where we feel devoid of, of joy, Lord, would you bring it in a supernatural way in this season? While we continue to lament and long, would you give us a peace that transcends understanding to guard our hearts and minds in you? And may we then be agents of this kingdom, of your kingdom work, representatives, wherever we go, send us to the last and the least and the lost, the hurting and the broken with your kingdom authority and power. In your name, Jesus of Nazareth, we pray. Amen.